0: Welcome to the 62nd episode of the Hail Married podcast. I'm A. Toves, and I'm joined by my husband, The Toves. We're back to recap the takedown in Tennessee. Let's get started. We said this was going to be a tough game with Tennessee, and a tough game it was indeed. Tennessee came out firing, scoring on the first play of the game. The offense, led by Eddie Lee Marburger, struggled in the first half, failing to score any points, even after special teams recovered a blocked punt, giving the runners favorable field position. Meanwhile, the defense struggled to stop Tennessee's offense, allowing Tennessee to take a 31-0 lead into halftime. The runners came out strong in the third quarter under quarterback Owen McCown. The offense put together their longest drive of the game, taking 15 plays to go 75 yards downfield, ending with a touchdown reception by Josh Cephas in front of the UTSA faithful. The defense came up with a stop and the offense answered back four plays later as Owen McCown connected with Tyke Ogle Kellogg, who used his physicality to shake off a tackle and score an impressive touchdown. After that, Tennessee dialed it back up and scored 14 unanswered points, sealing the victory 45 to 14. The Roadrunners finished their out of conference play one and three and head into a much needed bye week before entering conference play. So before we get into the game, let's start out by talking a little bit about the game day environment.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I, I thought it was it was fun. Um, you know, for us, we stayed downtown Knoxville, and instead of going into, I think, the, the madness, <laughs> yeah, so to speak, of uh, the Tennessee volunteers, the tailgates, we actually went kind of, what is it, Old Town?
0: Yeah, sort of went the opposite direction yeah. from, from the... Had a little Stadium. bit, yeah.
1: Had a little bit of whiskey. Had a little bit of barbecue. Had some more whiskey, um, and then you know made our way back down. Uh, but I think overall, you know, I felt like there was there was a lot of fans that greeted us. They were really nice. I mean, I think even if this if UTSA was really really good at this point was you know this unstoppable G five team. I still think they would have been nice. I think just overall, you could feel how genuine they were about having us as visitors, um, because really, I think Florida did a number on them, <laughs> they yeah. were, and they were still stinging from that.
0: Yeah, they were certainly down on their team going into the game.
1: Yeah, and I mean, once you get in, in there uh, into Neyland Stadium, was it one hundred one thousand nine hundred fifteen people? I don't know if that was nearly all that, but it certainly was at least close to 100,000 people, much more than it felt like when UT last year in Austin, where it didn't really feel like it was as packed
0: Yeah, it was kind of interesting. I mean, in terms of recorded attendance, you know, tickets sold, I should say, um, this is the third largest crowd that UTSA has played in front of. But in terms of people actually in the stadium, it probably was either the largest or the second largest um, in terms of ticket sales, the two largest crowds were last year at Texas, and then in 2016, the first time we played Texas A&M. But that game certainly did not have as many people in the stadium at no, Texas A&M no. as tickets sold. It was the weekend right before Thanksgiving. Right. It, it just did not seem... I mean, it, certainly there were a lot of people, but yeah. it, it was not um, as well-attended as the tickets sold would, would lead you to believe.
1: That's what to be made the stadium game experience the most unique out of all of these because of the mm-hmm. fact that you know I, I guess maybe it's because they sang Rocky Top so many times but right. I, you know just seeing all the pom-poms out there and really everybody kind of standing like it, it was just everybody was engaged whereas against like UT against AM, it didn't feel like there was as many people that were engaged into you know into the game.
0: Yeah I will say the two things that I well, one of the reasons why I think probably people are standing is because I think those seats were so <laughs> narrow that, um, you just really couldn't sit down. I That's mean, fair. Those blue seats were so narrow. We were just like packed in like sardines next to each other.
1: Well, that was just like the way in as well, yeah. right? Like, I mean, we actually came in probably on the other, well, yeah, I felt like the other side of the stadium mm-hmm. and just making mm-hmm. our way to our seats was... Like,
0: uh, very narrow. Hallway. Yeah. But, um... The other thing I thought was kind of interesting was, I i mean, maybe if I go back and look at it again, I'll feel differently, but I couldn't really tell where the students were. It seemed like they were kind of dispersed all throughout the, the stadium, instead of it being like in Texas A&M, where you very clearly know where the student section is. So that was just kind of different. It sort of felt like they were all throughout.
1: Yeah, and I thought that was a, I don't know, I liked that experience, because I felt like you have students now all around the stadium. And I think that helped with the engagement. Whereas instead, you know, usually to me, you have like the student section, which feels like really engaged. And then you have the other alums mm-hmm. slash longtime season ticket holders that are kind of there, but not really into the game. I think that really changed everything for me, but you're right. You know, I really didn't get a chance to sit down. Um, yeah, <laughs> no. Those, those seats were narrow, hence why you could get like 102 right. in there, right? Well,
0: that, and then, you know, It really wasn't that hot, but it felt very, very hot. The way the sun was positioned, the fact that we were just, like, packed in, like, it just really felt very hot. Yeah. Um, And it was one of those moments, again, where I was like, you know, I love the dome. I love having my own little armrest in between me and the person sitting next to me, especially if it's a stranger, The cup holder. You know, it's just, it is luxury.
1: It is, and and I think you know to your point. I I, I felt uncomfortable, even though you were sitting behind, right beside me. Mm-hmm. It's still like you have somebody that's a stranger next to you, and you're like jammed ah, in close. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 really yeah. You really got to know him pretty easily. <laughs> we on one of them, we we tried to do a high five after um, I think the Tai Keys touchdown it was hard for me to do it because I was trying to figure out how to get my arm up. Just yeah, to like it. You... it was, and it sounds like we're, we're making it up, but it, it really was that jam packed. And I felt bad because people sitting next to us actually had rented, I think those stadium the,
0: seats, the stadium
1: seats mm-hmm. and they essentially took up about one and a half.
0: Yeah. Of that a, that of almost a seat. made it worse. Because yeah. You can't sell those state or rent those stadium seats out and then have them actually be bigger than the seat. Like <laughs> the lady was very nice. She's like, "Oh yeah. sit on the corner of the cushion. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, she really was. She, was. she was very nice. I don't really have anything against them. It's just the fact that, you know, again, a stranger, you yeah. really don't know him, Even though it's a UTSA fan, you still don't really know him And, yeah, it, it just...
0: This is how you get to know people when you travel, though, because you're sitting on top of each other in these jam-packed stadiums. Well,
1: and the fact that... I am a bigger introvert than you. It it really makes it more uncomfortable for me. I was like, oh gosh, I'm I'm really up against this person, and hopefully it, it doesn't get inappropriate here because I'm like trying to move my hand and trying to figure out how to like cheer or something. Um, but enough of the game day. What did you think? We actually flew into Nashville yeah. um, Friday morning. There's a ton of uh, Roadrunner fans um, on that flight. And then we drove over to Knoxville. How did you feel about that? I mean, I thought it was a really beautiful drive. Um, but then again, I was still kind of in and out of it. At, <laughs> after, so I, I didn't, didn't really, really sleep light. well. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean, look, I've been to Knoxville several times for work. Um, and I've done the, the drive from Nashville to Knoxville for work before. But it's different when you're doing it you know, on your own time. I think it's a beautiful drive. If you get a chance to go from Knoxville up to Louisville as well that's also a beautiful drive. It's just very scenic and nice and Knoxville just as a town itself it's a nice charming little college town. Most of the restaurants are you know not chains they're you know smaller restaurants and so it's kind of it's a nice cool vibe especially that little market square area where we stayed you know so certainly I liked that. We did try some wine um, yes. And after our adventure trying wine in, in West Point, it was a little bit leery, but it was good, um, probably because the grapes weren't really sourced from Tennessee. They came right. from different places. Right. But overall, I'm still going to say Tennessee wine one, New York wine zero. But of course, you know, and then as you mentioned before, we had to go try some whiskey because there were two stops on the Tennessee Whiskey Trail in Knoxville. So when in Rome? Um, so that, that was fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I, I liked a little stop that we made for the wine. We also, they also had fudge there.
0: Oh, yeah. And we do have our wine fudge
1: that we'll have to try eventually. Yeah. It was um, that you actually got stopped um, by TSA on the way back. So
0: Yeah, I'm not sure what is in this wine <laughs> fudge, but it was enough to set off TSA. So hopefully it's good.
1: And to our listeners, I will say this. It was refreshing for me that Ato's finally got stopped by TSA because normally it's me that gets stopped yes. because they like to try to figure out what's what's attached to me, which is my insulin pump, my pancreas, which is outside my body. But uh, yeah, it, it was refreshing. Yeah. And, you know, it felt like Tennessee to me won the rest of the United States zero <laughs> because I, I'm tired of getting stopped at times by TSA, even though I have TSA, we have TSA pre, still I, I get tired of it. And so. you, were, you were
0: nice enough to stop and wait for me where I usually just like, see at the gate. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Really appreciate that. We have a great marriage, everybody. Um, All right. (laughs) As we settle down from that and the good times, we have to talk about something a little more depressing, and that was the game. Yeah. Overall, for me, I think it was more of a gut punch than I expected. And I say that knowing full well that I wasn't expecting to win. I was expecting a bit of a blowout. I predicted 45-13. You predicted, was it 45-17?
0: Um, no, I think I had a lower score, like 31-17. Okay.
1: So, mine obviously was close. Off by yeah. one point. But, you know, even to that, I didn't think it was going to be as non-competitive early on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, I knew that there have been struggles in offense. I knew there had been, you know, we actually got pushed around by Army on defense. I thought that it would just be a little bit closer in terms of the matchup. And then to see the first play and for, you know, as you mentioned earlier, Joe Milton just (laughs) essentially just stroll into the end zone from 81 yards out. Yeah. Um, And then, but really seeing that speed uh, from Tennessee, I just had a little difficulty. I mean, it was, it, it didn't feel good. It felt very Frank Wilson era type. And honestly, looking back at some of the stats that we've seen from this season so far on offense, it's quite reminiscent of Frank Wilson. It mm-hmm. was we're averaging three hundred and sixty seven yards on offense. The last time we were below four hundred was twenty nineteen, the last year of Frank Wilson when they averaged two hundred and forty four yards a game. So it it starts giving you some flashbacks. It's like, you know, for all the great times we've had the last two seasons, you know, you kept having that kind of there was this bad feeling that that was always going to come back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was weird that it happened here in Knoxville. But but, I still think there's a lot of uh, season to play. I think there's a lot of good things. Anything from you um, in terms of this game? I mean, like I said, I felt it was a gun punch. Uh, I don't know how you felt about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly I didn't expect us to go in and win. Um, you know, I did think that we would score at least another field goal, which we'll talk about that because we had the opportunity. (laughs) Thank you, Jeff. But, you know, I just, I wasn't expecting the immediate out of the gate Tennessee just kind of taking over. It sort of felt like the Army game where like, now again, it took Army longer to score, but kind of that immediate, like they took charge and it was like, ugh, it's going to be one of those games, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: Um, But as you mentioned, there were some bright spots in this game that we can find,
1: so... Yeah, let's let's start talking about the defense first. First thing that we'll talk about is the keys to the game. Um, stop the run. Well, we didn't do that. It was, you know, they had thir- 33 rushes for 303 yards. That's almost... It's 9.2 yards per rush. Almost a first down every single time they touched the ball. You know, it... it I... I, I I didn't feel like they would stop the run necessarily, but I thought it would be slowed down. I thought, mm-hmm. you know, there'd be some matchups. Obviously I knew that the SEC size of offensive linemen was going to be a problem for our defensive line. But we have a really good defensive line.
0: Yeah.
1: What I wasn't expecting is that the fact that once they got to the second and third levels, that our linebackers and our secondary would take such bad angles, read read the plays so badly. And that, that really just took away from what the defensive line did.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The other key we had was get pressure on the quarterback. We got two sacks. However, it really felt like Joe Milton had just a clean pocket for most of the game. Now, right. we almost, and I hate to say this, but we almost injured him near the end of the first half. Right. He still came back. Now, he didn't really run as much as he did in the first half. Right. So and,
0: it, and it probably did make a lot of the difference in the second half and how they performed and we performed.
1: Right. But, you know, even looking at the keys of the game, a lot of this that I put together and, you know, kind of ran by you in terms of preparing for the game wasn't like, hey, this is how we're going to win the game. Right. It was really, this is how I hope to keep this thing close. Right. And not like really get it blown out. Like I right. I always felt it was going to be somewhat, somewhat close to what the UT game was last season where, you know, we get worn down and we did get worn down. However, it just felt like. We got sucker punched, you know, on defense, and then it just felt like the snowball just started cascading down.
0: But there were, in terms of our individual performances, there were some bright spots that I think it's important to talk about. Absolutely. Especially as we consider how our team performed against an SEC offense. You know, if you look back at the PFF scores for Brandon Matterson, he had a fabulous game. I mean, he has an, el- he did. an elite pass rush PFF score, high overall score. I mean, that's just really impressive for a guy like Brandon Matterson, who's been with this team. He's now a super senior to be able to put up those kind of PFF scores in front of an SEC network, you know, an SEC crowd and potentially NFL scouts watching.
1: Right. I mean, and that was the thing that we we both looked at each other afterwards. We are like, Brandon really had a good game. And the first thing we thought was he possibly got himself a look from the NFL now. Yeah. Like, much more solid look than maybe before. And what I'm happy about for him was just the fact that, you know, there's tons of guys out there that get a chance to play in the NFL to try out, you know, get undrafted free agents. And I don't know that Brandon was necessarily one of those guys that they were looking at. but. Right. Here you have a guy, and we've talked about er, earlier in the season about the single digits kind of letting us down, you know, not having that toughness, you know, not having that. And here he is pushing around on some offensive linemen yeah, from the, the SEC, stage. as you said. It, it certainly, to me, was a great sign for this team. Yeah. Anybody else you saw that was good?
0: Um, Jamori Robinson had a great game. He also had above average PFF scores as well as um, Jamal Lignan. Um, Jamal also had um, high quality tackling scores for his PFF. Donye in particular had another elite pass rush score, which is really impressive again for him. And hopefully that and helped elevate you know his draft yeah, as well. Yeah. Both him and Jamal. And Jamory, I think, has just been on fire these last couple of games.
1: Only problem is we did not get a turnover, even though we had a clear shot at one.
0: I know. Now, <laughs> Rashad is, uh, I'm sure, really going to want that one back, because that should have been a pick six. It should have. Speaking of Rashad, he also had really high tackling scores, um, along with Elliot Davidson. So it was kind of interesting when you looked at the secondary, because you sort of had these two really high tackling scores from Elliot Davidson and Rashad, and then, you know, some less than stellar scores on the other side. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, right. I mean, like, again, you're, you're playing an SEC team. You know exactly what you're going up against, or at least you have a feeling. And, you know, that Tennessee offense reminded us a few times, and I nudged you a couple times, like, okay, when the score got to 31-14, mm-hmm. I said, look, they're gonna, they're probably going to remind us that they're an SEC team. Yeah. Right away, deep shot down the middle of the field. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest, look, Tennessee fans before the game kept – that we kept running into where, like, they just did not like Joe Milton. They're yeah. like, Oh, our quarterback blows. He's not accurate quarterback, no. and I think if he was much more accurate, it
0: could have been worse. Yeah,
1: this could have been much worse. But I
0: will say that I think it was Cam Alexander who had the other almost interception of the night. I mean, he did a pretty good job selling it. Like, he the ball hit the ground, yeah. But it, yeah. you know, when you replayed it, he might get an Emmy for that acting job that he did there.
1: I mean, look. There were issues on the defensive end. I'm not... I, it's tough to like look at this game and say we learned quite a bit. It was good just to see these performances because mm-hmm. you know you knew overall that Tennessee was going to dominate this game. Right. I do have a beef, though, with Jess Lepp <laughs> and Coach Trailer because of the fact that Trailer talked about before the game that Tennessee is a fast team, you mm-hmm. know? And that is not talking about just speed, but they're talking about them snapping the ball. Right. And... Okay a lot of this to me was shouldn't have been new, right? Like we know that this is what they're going to do. Why are we substituting right. so slowly? And then the players were taking forever to get off. I get it. You're tired. But Jeff Trailer only used one timeout this entire game. Yet you got I think two or three <laughs> two or three uh, uh penalties for 12 men on the field.
0: Yeah.
1: Let's use some timeouts. I mean, if you if you know you're not going to win this game, you know you can't be using those timeouts. You know, to be strategic near the end of halves, use them. Why take those penalties? Like it yeah. just didn't didn't make sense. I'm sure there's some explanation. I hope somebody from the media asked him that. But overall, they're probably not going to, and he's probably not going to answer it. He's probably just going to say, well, you know.
0: It was very frustrating, though, that um, even the refs were kind of trying to help us out. Like they, you know, were yeah. stopping Gosh. Joe Milton. <laughs> from snapping the ball and we still got a penalty on like one of at least one of them it's like you know the tennessee fans are booing the refs who were trying to help us out and we still can't take it and i
1: action. felt like over my fa- like oh man like we're we're being treated like an fcs team right like <laughs> we really were like and yeah. that was that was the toughest thing for me when looking at this defense
0: mm-hmm.
1: i still think it was a valiant effort uh, but we do have an injury we have to talk about real quick
0: yeah, apparently um Cyrus Dumas um, somehow broke his foot during the game. I don't know exactly when it happened, but on social media afterwards, you know, he said that he broke his foot and it looked like he was having maybe having surgery. It looked like he was Ugh. in the hospital, so. Yeah.
1: That's a tough break. And I don't mean that like in a pun. I'm just saying like it's just tough that yeah. a guy that you were hoping to get back because he had he had been injured, now he comes back and he gets he has this happen, so yeah. shame that that's, um, that's going to sideline him. All right, let's talk real quick about special teams, uh, an area that you love so much.
0: Yeah, I mean, they played better. There weren't any really glaring mistakes. I mean, obviously, Dean's punting is still inconsistent. Um, you know, what we learned before the game was that Dean had fractured both of his legs at different times. In the season, one in the spring, one in the fall. Again, we knew that he had an injury. We knew he was in a boot, but we didn't realize that he had fractured a leg, recovered from that, and then fractured the other leg. Um, so, which led to some interesting comments by Trailer, which we'll get to later. But obviously, you had to talk about the thing that was the brightest spot for special teams, which was they capitalized on a Tennessee mistake you know, here in Tennessee. Did? Who recovered that? Kelechi, my boy, was probably the best thing he did all game. <laughs> you know, they blocked the punts, but it hits a Tennessee player, and Kelechi was paying attention. He got on top of the ball. It got it back. Why that didn't end up in a field goal for us, um, we'll get to in a second. I
1: don't know. I thought the kick the kick coverage was good, Yeah. to be honest with you. I thought in terms of the kickoff coverage, it looked like there was some things they have cleaned up. So, look, I know we've given a hard time about the special teams coordinator, and you would expect the team to at least be much sharper in the first three games, but it does look like they've made some progress.
0: Yeah, i give them credit if I knew who they were.
1: <laughs> but the SEC, it's an SEC team, and we're holding them to shorter returns. Right. That in itself.
0: Yeah, it was impressive.
1: It's it's, it's really good sign for this team. All right, let's get to the offense. We'll start out with the keys to the game. First thing was find ways to sustain drives with play calling. did not happen in the first half with Eddie Lee, but it mm-hmm. did happen with Owen. Owen was doing that. With the caveat here that I will say that there was a sprinkling of ones and twos, possibly third stringers, sure. within that the defense that he was facing. So, you know, let's be fair here to Eddie as well. The other key to the game was get Eddie Lee in a rhythm quickly. Look, the offensive line did not help him at mm-hmm. all. This, this Tennessee defensive line really... Uh, put pressure on him, quite a bit of pressure. Now, even in saying that, some of that was also due to Eddie himself. Eddie struggled to get the ball out at times. Right. Um, and not all of it was Justin Burke. Um, you know, that was, I think that's one of the things we we started seeing as well, is that there was, there was some different options for him, mm-hmm. and he just didn't take them. However, more often than not, he was, he had plenty of blockers, And Tennessee was still pressuring within a short amount of time. And, you know, you just, no quarterback's going to be successful like that.
0: One of the interesting things, though, about this game was that it appears we had the same offensive line throughout the game. So the same offensive line played with Eddie, the same offensive line played with um, Owen. So you didn't really see rotation, which, you know, that hasn't happened in a long time. Now, again... Not really a stellar performance by them, but maybe it's somewhat of a positive sign that at least we had health enough, or they were healthy enough that we could be consistent for the entire game.
1: Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think that that's that's a very good point. Let's get to the bright spots, though.
0: I mean, I think the probably one of the brightest spots of the night was Tyke getting that touchdown at home. You know, he's he grew up. 15 minutes from the stadium, he had friends and family there, you know, we've all kind of talked about, you know, the consistency and inconsistency with Tykey. so it was just really great for him to be playing in front of that home crowd and to have such a bright moment, and the touchdown pass is credited as being a 43-yard pass, but about 30 yards of that was the run after catch yeah. from Taiki. Yeah. I mean, just watching his... Physicality, you know, shaking off that kind of arm tackle by the defender and running into the field, you know, running into the end zone. I thought it was really a great performance from him, and probably one of the best efforts we've seen from him.
1: Yeah, and you know, again to your point, maybe it was the juice of him, you know, being at being home. at home. Yeah. Um, I think he was taking pictures with some of the Tennessee players after the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and but it was, I think you always look to players when they go home, so to speak. Even though most of our most of the uh, uh, rosters made up of Texans, you do have those guys that come from out of state. And to give them a chance to play in front of their family, close to home, usually gives you a good performance. Taiki, I think, had a pretty good performance. Um, but yeah, that, that touchdown was something else, right? Yeah. And but course- then the gall. The gall to like review it. I was like, man, <laughs> he's clean. I mean, you guys, you messed up, right? You messed up on a slant. That's right. We ran a slant to the middle of the field. Right. And he made a great play. Like, come on. Like, And, and even seeing it, was because we were so low, by the way, <laughs> that it was tough to see the field. So we had to keep looking up at their jumbotron or their video screens. And it looked clean to me. I thought it was weird they went back and looked at it. But anyway, yeah. great job from him. But there is somebody else, I think, on the offensive line that we should talk about. And that's Venley.
0: Yeah, Venley, really. I mean, in terms of his um, PFF scores, I mean... Great job pass blocking. Um, he and Luke Lopez were above average. You know, I think he really being healthy this season is proving to be a talented piece of that offensive line.
1: I would agree. I mean, and there's, you know, one of those fourth downs. Um, you know, obviously I, I check out the you know play breakdowns from Alamo Audible, and one of those plays is Vinley pushing a defense, uh, a starting defensive lineman uh, in the SEC mm-hmm. down the field about. I think it was like 14, 15 yards. Yeah. Um, it was about the same speed too as Cavorian was going, which was even more impressive. So, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's it's those little things though that you hope that these little moments that you hope that they build upon. Right. And, and that uh, is something that I think hopefully they keep moving towards that right direction. Um, you know, I felt like when we're talking about the offense in general, look, It felt like to me, and you could tell me that I'm wrong here, but it felt like to me like Owen was getting different play calls than Eddie was.
0: Yeah, certainly. And part of it may be either that he was getting different play calls or maybe it was that he was taking, you know, his time a little bit and not feeling, even though he had the same amount of pressure, not feeling the pressure. I don't know, but it it definitely seemed like on rewatch there were some different play calls coming in. But, like, there
1: was more slants. Yeah. And, and I think, that, you know, obviously the touch, the second touchdown there was pretty key. But, you know, I also felt like there was just overall with Owen, I get you're going to make adjustments, mm-hmm. but it would have been nice to see some of those same plays for Eddie because, you know, I, I would say that they had their their defense starters in for just about the entire first half. Mm-hmm. And for Eddie to, like, go in there and have to wait for long developing plays
0: yeah,
1: and then add to that... Him, you know, kind of getting stuck on, you know, on a couple of reads, not really letting go of the ball very quickly, you're just asking for him to just struggle. And I really, I think what it really hurts is his confidence.
0: Right. I mean, we had fans kind of around us in the stadium saying, you know, we need to throw the ball deep. And it's like, (laughs) okay, first of all, our wide receivers aren't getting separation. And if they are, our offensive line isn't holding up long enough for that play to develop. Right. It would have been great for Eddie or Owen to throw it deep, but I just don't think they had the time to do that.
1: And it goes back to what I've been asking for, which has been more of the West Coast concepts, right? Like the short passing, the quick mm-hmm. passing. If you're last season when we had offensive line injuries, which were much more numerous than this season, we got the ball out quick. Frank was getting it out quick. It shouldn't matter which quarterback is in there. The concept should be we're going to get it out quick so that we can either get our wide receiver get them in some space, and they can make a play. Mm-hmm. Or just get it out so that it neutralizes that that rush, and now we have a little bit more to play with. We can yeah. start getting some longer developing plays and really mess with the defensive line and their rush towards, their, towards the quarterback. So just some things there I think that obviously we still need to work on, uh, and hopefully it continues to progress as we go into Temple in a couple weeks.
0: Before I get into talking about the... Um the series after the, the punt recovery. Um, one other thing on, you know, kind of bright spots. Like I know on the last podcast, we gave Kavorian a lot of criticism about having his second fumble um, two games in a row. You know, when somebody has that happen to them two games in a row, sometimes you can get in your head, right? right. And and you almost, it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you create more mistakes. But To see Kavorian in this game have great ball control, I mean, I think that shows that he really worked on it, and this could have been the game, you know, where you may have expected something to go wrong just because he's had some issues, and so I thought it was great that we saw him fix that in this big of a stage.
1: Yeah, I mean, things can snowball like like we talked about earlier, but uh, yeah, really good to see him start to clean that up.
0: Yeah, now let's talk about the play call after... Um, the punt recovery, you know, we, Eddie gets good field position, you know, they, they get a little bit of movement. They got to the 19 yard line and instead of kicking a field goal, we go for it on fourth down. Now I realize that had we kicked that field goal at the end of the day, it wouldn't have done anything other than make my score prediction happen. (laughs) Um, but I feel like with a new quarterback and a young team that, you know, that was out on the field, for them to get on the board at that point, I felt like that would have given them some confidence that maybe would have given them something to build on. Instead, they end up going into halftime 31-0. to I mean, that just seemed really deflating. Now, granted, we came out, you know, strong in the second half, you know, Tennessee, took the, you know, the foot off the, the gas for a little bit. But, you know, if we would have been able to get that field goal, maybe we would have gotten enough to get one more field goal in the first half or, or you know, something that would have been able to build yeah. some confidence.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, I, I can see the other way around, too. Is like, you know, it feels like we have some momentum going, so keep it up, go for it on fourth down again, be Army.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you know, Army treated us by going for it on fourth down quite a bit. Keep doing this to Tennessee, and hopefully we catch them off base. That fourth down call was actually a pretty good call. Eddie just ends up getting a little rushed and doesn't really go through his progressions, and ends up sailing the ball over. I think it's Houston Thomas's head, or mm-hmm. maybe it was uh, Oscar. But he sails the ball over the receiver's head in the end zone. I think either way, I I tend to lean more towards the field goal with you, just because of the confidence. You know, again, you want to you want to get some confidence to your Quarterback, especially in a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. Tennessee fans, while they were nice to us, when once it got once, <laughs> once it, it got, got in the it stadium, stadium it wasn't like win. they were it wasn't like they were abusive, right? But yeah. they were still loud,
0: yeah,
1: uh, and they got quite loud. So, you know, that, that's one of those situations where you know I do think this kind of lowers the crowd volume, mm-hmm. and you know. I think my hope would have been that they started kind of building on that momentum. Create some momentum for your offense. Create some momentum for your defense. I think the defense would have had a little more, okay, all right, we're on the board. It doesn't seem as daunting. Right. Uh, So, yeah, again, again, I see it both ways. However, I still lean towards what you were saying.
0: All right. So, now that we've seen both Eddie and Owen play, there's an interesting question that was asked from Trailer post game. He was asked about Frank's injury and his health. And Trailer said, we're trying to get that thing healed up all the way. So when he comes back, it's not something everyone is holding their breath about the entire year. To me, that almost feels like there's a chance we might not see Frank and Temple like we expected. So if that's the case, and Trailer, you know, is now looking at, game and a half although with the time of possession and army i guess we could argue like (laughs) half a game for eddie and half a game for owen who's qb2 or qb1 i guess in that case if frank's not playing
1: the easy answer is owen and i think it's really based off of what you saw in the second half against tennessee but i also want to make sure that when i said that copyright about owen was he went against some first and second stringers think another like third stringer in there because Mm -hmm. it was looking at some of the numbers on some of those on some of those drives and they were already substituting quite a bit.
0: So it's not quite apples to apples.
1: Correct. And and look, I'm not going to be an Eddie Lee like Stan account here, nor am I going to be an Owen Stan account. I think though, from what I've seen from in the spring, what I saw in the spring game, from everything I've seen, I feel like no matter what, Owen O always number two, and it was always nice that Trailer was being loyal to Eddie because he had brought Eddie in and recruited him, that he kept him at an or number two. But I, I, I think, watching what you what you saw in terms of the Army game and this game, I still think that both of them are good and they're going to be fine in, in you know the AAC. But I think. Owen's gonna give you the best chance to win.
0: Yeah, I would give Owen the edge for two reasons. One is he's a lefty. And even though Eddie has played these last, you know, two games, our offensive line, our play calling, everybody's used to playing with a lefty quarterback in Frank. Fair point. So, you know, I think the adjustment to Owen is likely going to be a little bit less. The second thing is, you know, when you saw the offensive line get pressure, and we know that that's going to happen even in the American Conference because we're just, you know, we've got health issues, we're not at 100%. Owen seemed like he was willing to scramble more than Eddie. Now, certainly, there were a couple of times where you thought, okay, okay. Frank would have taken off just like that. But Frank would have kept going, you know. Eddie, right. I mean, uh, Owen would slide, you know. he kind of like, okay, I got the artage, I need him, good. Um, but you didn't see Eddie do that, and certainly didn't see him do that so instinctively. So I think that's, you know, the other advantage that I would give to Owen, because I, I feel like there's a chance that he's going to escape the pressure, um, where I think Eddie's going to stand to take it, and hopefully... Not get injured in one of those
1: sacks, but Owen looks like a natural quarterback. He looks like a guy that's gone up against some P five teams, which he did in his in four games last year at Colorado. Mm-hmm. It's it's tough not to say Owen. I mean, you know, it's it's just how I think you know it's always been set up. Unfortunately, it's not going to be our decision. It's going to be this guy named Jeff Trailer, right? Yes, and and
0: speaking of Coach Trailer, he seems to be. <laughs> Back in his feelings again. You know, prior to the game, he made a couple of ridiculous off-the-cuff statements again that, you know, it's almost like he's fodder for memes lately. But the interesting thing, I thought, was him getting snippy with Greg Luca in the post-game.
1: I don't want to pile on him, on, pile on him much more, but, you know, it's it's odd that he's... A, he's been a little more critical of his players this season. Mm-hmm. And B, like he's, again, like you said, he's been snippy with people asking him questions. Right. It, it speaks of a guy that feels insecure, even though you've just coming off two Conference USA titles. Like, it wasn't going to be easy coming into the American. Right. You haven't even started conference play.
0: Yeah.
1: Some of this reaction, it's... And I guess I have so many problems with him because I've said it before on the podcast and it's been a while since I said it, but he's such an emotional guy. Yeah. And, you know, he's really like that friend that you have in your, you know, in your friend group that gets emotional and like all of a sudden like kind of loses it when you guys are out and about, you know, having some fun somewhere, you know, on a Sunday fun day. And you're like, "I I just can't deal with this person, right? I'm just trying to have some fun. And this person's like, you know, over here crying about whatever, or you know, complaining about you know how, how expensive this this is when they're the ones that chose this place right like it's it's just it just gets so frustrating and I, I don't deal well with that yeah and I don't think a lot of people deal well with that either but I think it's really kind of grinded on us because it felt like there's just been it really feels like he doesn't know what answers what yeah. what the answers are and I don't think as fans or as media we're really trying to Get him to tell us definitively this is the answer that'll solve these right. issues, but it makes him look like he doesn't know what he's doing, and I think it's kind of filtered onto the team too, right? Like we've yeah. talked about it before, where it seems like the team seems like a little disorganized, doesn't seem sloppy, yeah. Just like he seems a little sloppy in the media, right?
0: Well, it was interesting because both he and Rashad made a comment. So Trailer said, you know, after he got snippy with Greg Luca that he was frustrated with the question. Obviously, there are a lot of things that we have to look at. It's just hard. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. And then Wisdom said something similar um, about there being a lot of stuff going on. So it's kind of like, what's going on behind the scenes that, that we don't know about, besides just these injuries and whatever? Is there, is there something else that's causing there to be a fracture?
1: And it feels like it, right? But here's here's the deal. I would have liked the media to have followed up with that question and said, What do you mean there's a lot of stuff going on? What stuff? Yeah. We're asking it now on the podcast, but that should have been media-wise the follow-up question to both of them. What's going on? And if they decline to comment, then you know that it's probably some sort of internal tension or something else really grinding on them, right? But what always gets me about some, you know, this team at times is, you know, they'll kind of come back and be like, get upset with fans because we get critical and they're like you don't even know what's going on in the locker room. Well, tell us? Well, they're not going to tell us because they don't want to like open up. Right. You know, open up
0: behind the curtain. Yeah,
1: show us that view. However, you're still going to get us guesses. You know, we're just going to be making like all sorts of guesses oh. and trying to figure out how dramatic, you know, just how dramatic you guys are that you know, we're going to start thinking of new rumors or things that are going on sure. or you know, strife, whatever, you know, things they aren't getting along, blah blah blah. So yeah, I mean, it's either you tell us or stop teasing us with it. Just come out and say it, right? right. But if you're not going to come out and say it, don't say a word about it. Just, I think that the sports information desk needs to talk to the players and to Twitch trailer and say, you guys need to start watching what you're saying because you're you're making yourselves look bad when the question isn't really about... Right.
0: Well, and the bigger the stage, the more that these comments get circulated, you know, um, this is not just... Conference USA anymore, where nobody's paying attention to your press conferences, nobody's reading your quotes. You know, the more media attention we get when people talk about, you know, is UTSA one of the top G5 programs, the more people are going to pay attention and they're going to hone in on those little things.
1: Well, I'm glad you brought that up because after four games, we're now 33% of the season down Mm -hmm. or 33% in, however you want to see it. What are the expectations moving forward?
0: You know i think this is an interesting question for utsa because i feel like in a lot of ways we ran before we walked mm. we earned those two conference championships in conference usa we got a lot of coverage from the press when we went you know what it was what, what was it 11 11 no yeah. yeah in 2021 um You know, there's been a lot of hype, I guess that's the best word, around the program. But I'm not sure that we're really there yet. I think we want to believe that we're there yet, or that we're there, but these things take time in terms of being able to beat these big opponents. And we're still struggling. Not that, again, I think going into the season, the expectation was that we'd beat Tennessee. But if you look back on where we're at, you look at some of these programs that we should have beaten Houston this year. We should have beaten Army this year. We should have beaten Troy in the bowl game. You know, those big games, we've struggled in. And so I think in terms of the expectations for this season, we're going into conference play, there's been kind of this discussion about, you know, is this like high school where you have district and non-district and what have you, I mean, in terms of this season, the way that the American is shaking out, we still have a really good opportunity to win the American or to be second or third in the American. Don't take our one and three start and assume that, you know, we've made some Comments about it's being similar to the Frank Wilson era. This is not 2019 by any means I think that it has shown us that we're not at that elite g5 level yet
1: I would agree. I don't think that UTSA is elite. I believe that they're a good g5 team and I think that shows it there's there's been a drop-off this year um, Whether you believe that or not it, there is a drop-off and I think no matter even if you run the table and conference It's a drop-off because of the way the team has played.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's almost like if you look back at 2022 and 2021, we had this kind of perfect combination of tangibles and intangibles in the last two years. We had a healthy Frank who could scramble when the offensive line was breaking down. We had a talented offensive coordinator, Barry Lenny in 2020, 2021, And definitely probably one of the most talented offensive coordinators we may ever see at UTSA and Will Stein who could scheme these plays so that Frank could really get the ball out quick to our receivers and then we had this trio of talented receivers that Frank could throw the ball up and a 50-50 ball somehow became a 75-25 ball 75 they were going to get it and you just had this synergy that we've kind of talked about at times that allowed the team to play better than the sum of its parts. But this year, we don't have all of those things. Frank's not healthy. Our offensive coordinator, you know, we've criticized him, but he's still learning the position. It doesn't mean he can't become a great offensive coordinator in the future, but he's not there yet. We only have one of our trio of receivers right now. And the synergy just seems to be missing. Yeah. We're playing like individuals. We're not playing like that team like we were playing before. And it's just kind of snowballed, if you will, into, look, still the opportunity to have a good season, maybe even a great season, but not the type of season that I think we were expecting when we did our preview at the beginning of the year.
1: Yeah, I mean, coming into the into the season, we really felt like we have a healthy Frank, we have a healthy team overall. We're going to be fine. We find out later that the offensive line is not very healthy. Mm-hmm. We find out that Frank hasn't been hasn't been practicing. So you have a rusty quarterback. You have an offensive line that's kind of put together with backups. It's difficult, but to be elite, to be this elite G five program that. UTSA fans want to be that. Even Coach Trailer wants to be that. The athletic department wants to be you. Like you said, you have to win those games. You have to win Troy. It doesn't matter if your if your offensive line is out. It doesn't matter if your top one of your top receivers is gone or your top running back is gone. Last year we were missing sincere, yet we still went three and one in non conference. That to me last year was as close to elite that UTSA has gotten. The mm-hmm. offense, like you said. Just absolutely terrific. The defense had to be carried by the offense, and the offense did a great job of it. We've got a ways to go.
0: Yeah.
1: I think, you know, coming into the into conference, and I think another thing that bugs me is that is that trailer talks about, you already referred to it as sort of district and non-district, like in high school. Yeah, you need to get away from that because you're not in high school anymore. You're an FBS college coach. And in being a college coach, you have to win these games, or at least you have to treat them a little different. You Mm -hmm. can't be saying, oh, well, these really don't matter. And as Mm -hmm. fans, we shouldn't be seeing it as they don't matter. They do matter. They matter because if we want to be elite, then this is the stepping stones that we need to take to get to being elite. You have to be able to go into a Tennessee and to put up more of a fight than you did Mm -hmm. in that first half. Um, So I don't think these problems that offensively, are going to be fixed by Temple. I think the defense is still going to have some problems against Temple. I think the defense is going to have some problems against some of these other AAC teams as we go into conference. But I do agree with you that I think that it's going to look better, but the problem is not going to be fixed. None of those problems, I think, are going to be necessarily fixed. You're just going to look. It's going to be all smoke and mirrors, to be honest with you.
0: So let me ask you this. If going into the season, you knew how injured Frank was, you knew how fragile the offensive line was, you knew that Lucas Dean had fractured both of his legs and all of these other things, what would your expectations have been for the season?
1: First of all, I would not have come out and said, hey, Atobs, I drank the Kool-Aid. I drank, you know, I'm all in. I would have... I would have thought we might go Owen 4 but I also actually would have probably thought that Eddie Lee or Owen is starting in Houston. Mm-hmm. I would not have expected Frank to start because of the fact that he didn't have snaps. And I think looking back, at least in my opinion, I think that was a bad choice to start him at at Houston, especially coming off something. I mean, look, you want to set yourself up for a year six run, but. If you have all of these issues that you just talked about, the New, the New Year's Six run is shouldn't even be a goal. It should just be, how are we going to maneuver through the first three games?
0: Right.
1: And let's see how we can build build our young quarterback's confidence, and let's see how we can integrate Frank into this. This idea that Frank has earned the right for things, to me, is BS. Trailer is the parent. We talked about this before, and he needs to make sure that he puts the program in the best position not frank the program in his best interest yeah. and then you bring in frank and say all yeah, right now they, you look like you're ready to to go
0: at the end of the day the worst thing that could happen is i mean in some ways sort of already happened right frank got injured and now he right. can't play these games right and that's not what you ever wanted to happen i think if we had looked at this differently at the beginning of the season you know we probably would have still thought we would be competitive in, oh yeah yeah in the american conference a contender you know to be in the championship but i don't think that these first couple of games would have been such a surprise and again instead of coming in saying yeah we're gonna win 10 or 11 games we probably would have said eight maybe nine you know depending on these different factors but I think right now a lot of people are very frustrated with the team and might be very down on the team because of the performances. When, in all fairness, I think our expectations going into the season weren't really aligned with the reality.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's the best way to put it. Because had we known the reality, I I think we're we're fine with being one in three and right. you know trying to figure out okay when does. Frank come back right, um, but I also think that the offense may have had a little bit more rhythm, and potentially you also have, I think, more confidence going in into, uh, you know, the, the American, beginning of non yeah. of beginning of conference play. Not yeah. to say though that I think that either one of us are down on the team. I think both of us feel like the team is going to be fine. It's talented. It's got issues that we're going to be exposed by these non-conference opponents, regardless. But we do think that once you get into conference play, we should be fine.
0: Before we go, we're heading into a bye week, so let's talk a little bit about UTSA soccer instead. The team is 5-4-2 overall, 0-1-1 in conference.
1: Tough losses to Baylor and Memphis uh, in their last two matches. Uh, In the Baylor match, they just couldn't find the back of the net. And even though Baylor is a Big 12 team, it just felt like the talent gap between both teams is not as large as I think Baylor would have you believe. Mm-hmm. And Baylor, even though they kind of controlled the ball like how they wanted to at times for the most part, I still felt like UTSA really pushed them and really pressed them and made them and asked a lot of questions of them that I think that they weren't they weren't ready to answer and that they did ever answer. Um, you know, I think Baylor really struggled. Uh, they had, like, moments where they... Kind of dominated UTSA, but I really felt like they were going to come away with at least a draw there. Um, against Memphis, again losing, just don't have that scoring touch. It seems like we're just we're just missing something. And look, this team has struggled in scoring in the last three games. Mm-hmm. Um, they just haven't been able to put anything in the back of the net. But you know, I think that they'll find it. They'll figure some figure some things out because they actually gonna get some more practice time uh, as Memphis was last Thursday, and they don't have a game until this coming Thursday against North Texas. Now, but the other thing about the Memphis game is, and I have to bring this up, is the fact that the ref let this game get out of control. Absolutely. It was an absolutely physical game against the number nine Memphis Tigers, and it got dangerous for both teams. I'm not going to say that this was just solely one-sided for UTSA. Yeah. We were going in hard on some of those tackles, they were coming in hard. At one point, Deja Sandoval gets gets tackled. And the player went in pretty hard. Um, and, you know, she comes goes down with an injury. Referee takes a while to actually blow the whistle to stop the game. And when he did, Coach Pittman went off. And I don't blame him. I mean, yeah. he literally yelled at the ref. She's injured because he, the linesman, won't put up his flag that the ball was out. And, you know... It could have been the Memphis coach that would have that could have blown up as well, and I would have applauded him as well. The, the ref did not do a very good job, and then he started trying to regain control, but at that point, it, it was just too late.
0: Yeah, I thought we were going to see um, kind of a repeat there from when we played the exhibition match against UAW, and Christian Tucker in the stands like started yelling and went off on the ref, and um, so I was. It was quite humorous, you know, certainly not exactly what you wanted to see. And and I understand why he got so upset. Um, But, yeah, it's always fascinating when you have those kind of responses and you see the other team or the other um, athletes from UTSA um, yelling at the roughs.
1: Yeah, and, I mean, add to that Dan Erdahl from Alamo Audible, uh, who does the, you know, the Around the Birdbath episodes for them. Uh, he too went off. Um, you know, I think it was a, a nice little shout, <laughs> shout off, I guess you could say, between the two of them. It was good seeing Dan out there. I thought Ho- we're
0: gonna have to restrain both of them, to be
1: honest with you. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I, I can't wait to see Dan again out there. I think it's just gonna be fun. Uh, but you know, look, I talked about how this team has struggled scoring the or scoring goals. Yeah, they lost Anna Suter from last season. She was the main scoring threat, but this team still has pieces. And I think it's just going to take a little bit of time still to figure out how to close on these. Um, there's a lot of good offense, but I think they also need to work on better shots from around the penalty box. Memphis scored around the penalty box. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was an excellent shot at Jasmine Kessler. Um, Jasmine really had no shot at it. I mean, that that's, that's how good it took to beat UTSA that night. So I, you know, honestly, I think that what coach Pittman's is going to have to do is he's going to have to go and dig deep and find somebody in the transfer portal or recruit somebody, but it's gotta be somebody that's ready. I think to contribute in terms of the being the forward, because this team right now I think is talented and just needs that scoring threat to complement the rest of its pieces. Uh, I'm going to go real quick um, through some of these, uh, you know, some of these players. I really feel like they need to shout out. Um, first of all, goalkeeper, Jasmine Kessler, I just mentioned, has been doing a very good job in the goal. Uh, she's playing like a veteran college player, even though she's a freshman. Uh, that's been impressive. Mia Krasinski's been out with injury. Um, interesting that she's dating Lucas Dean, and they're both kind of been injured. It's it's not, not a great... Not in that, uh, yet. Yeah, that, that couple's having a lot of problems with injuries. Um, but yeah, Jasmine's done terrific. Of course, that defense has continued to look really good as well, led by Deja Sandoval and Haley Lopez. Haley Lopez uh, was a junior college uh, pickup from Coach Pittman. He said when he we interviewed him earlier in the season that, uh, you know, she was quite the shutdown player and that he really wanted her on the team. Uh, she's continuing the tradition of strong center backs because Haley, I'm really impressed by the way that she tackles. Uh, she tackles hard in the box, which She's given away one penalty kick, which wasn't to me. I still, I still, I'm bitter about it. I'm sure she's let it go, but I'm not. <laughs> I've, I still have a problem with it. Uh, Sophie Morin, obviously, uh, she's my favorite newcomer to the team. She's obviously, she's right now, she's off uh, with the under-19 Irish national team. Fantastic for her. She's having a great season for UTSA. I think it's a really good moment bringing in an international player and them having an impact immediately. Uh, it, it's really quite that uh, really addition to this team. But can't forget the veteran presences of Serena Russ, Jordan Highland, and Olivia Alvarez. Olivia Alvarez is someone that I guess I just just blocked out of my mind because she has been very good in the midfield as well. Um, physical player. She's done a very good job on tackling we just need to figure out some ways of getting her going in the offensive end as well as Jordan Highland. Jordan actually, I think got injured earlier in the season, missed a game. And I think she's just kind of working herself back uh, into the, into the rhythm of stuff. And Serena Russ has just been just that nice veteran presence uh, really being that um, bridge between the defense and the offense. Uh, In terms of the forwards, Macy Geltmeyer, who came from Louisiana tech, um, she's been much more versatile than I anticipated. Um, You know, she's, she's played, Alone at the top of the uh, formations, she's also played on the like wings in terms of mid- midfielder. So, uh, really added something to to this uh, UTSA team. Stewie, of course, has been quite steady. Um, you know, she's always seems to be in the right spot at the right time. We just need to get her to get some goals. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan Walker and Marley Frey really hold up forward. So that means that they really have their back to the goal a lot of the times, and they just kind of dish off and. I think we just need to find a way to get them to create some more opportunities for this team. Uh, because, uh, really if they can dish off, get the ball deep and dish off to some of these players, we're going to get some nice shots and I think we're going to create more, um, scoring opportunities. But can we talk about the, these little get to get to know the team posts that we see? <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> um, on social media. yeah. Yeah. They've had some, you know, kind of fun little facts about the team and, um, it's been interesting to read them, but I feel like I have more questions now than answers. Such um, as, why is Haley Lopez nicknamed Pookie?
1: Such a fun little nickname for like I was just telling you, man, she's one tough player, and the way she tackles is and amazing. And
0: her nickname is Pookie. Yeah, like,
1: talking about softball. You on can't soft, just right? drop that knowledge without an explanation.
0: <laughs> and then you know you mentioned Stewie, you know, Alyssa Stewart, who goes by Stewie. She said um, one of her fun facts was that she sponsors a donkey. Like, how does that happen? Where can I sponsor a donkey? And
1: where can we see said donkey? Because now I am interested. Is
0: there a photo of you and the donkey? Right?
1: I'm in. I'm in, Stewie. (laughs)
0: Um, And then the other one that just really threw me off is that Mia Krasinski said her nickname, Mia, came from the Princess Diary movie. Um, nickname mia like mia is your first name what is mia short for and if mia is not short for something and that's just your nickname like what is your name i need to know you can't just give me these one facts and then not give me an explanation it's very frustrating
1: we're, we're gonna probably send a couple emails to, the, <laughs> to coach Pittman and be like we I, need these answers He'll be like what are you talk what are you I sending know, me like, i'm trying to prepare for north texas and you're trying to figure this out <laughs>
0: Hillberry <laughs> podcast yes. listeners need to know.
1: Exactly. <laughs>
0: um, but in all seriousness, um, UTSA takes on North Texas this week, Thursday at 7 p.m. at Park West. If you can't make it out, um, they are going to be on ESPN+. Plus. Just a little bit about the AAC and kind of how the rest of the conference fared. It was a tough day on Saturday, not just for UTSA, but the American, every team that played a P5 program lost. Um, Temple lost to Miami, 7-41. to UAB lost to Georgia, which that's not really a surprise. I mean, I think the biggest surprise there is that UAB scored 21 points on Georgia, um, but they lost 21-49. to South Florida beat Rice, 42-29. to Interesting thing there is that JT Daniels got hurt in the game. Allegedly, he's going to be back for the next game against East Carolina, but he's not practicing. So we'll see how that kind of changes the trajectory for Rice. Um, and then FAU lost a close game to Illinois, 17 to 23, and SMU lost the what do they call it the Golden Skillet, yeah, to TCU Iron Skillet or whatever it's yeah, to TCU, 17 to 34. And then one more thing for Roadrunner fans out there, your NFL matchup of the week, if you're a Roadrunner fan, should be the Cardinals versus the 49ers. It's the battle of the UTSA alum in the trenches. Cardinals defensive lineman, UTSA alum Kevin Strong up against 49 offensive linemen and UTSA alum Spencer Burford, Sunday 325 on Fox. Should be fun. Yeah, it should be interesting. All right, well, I think that about wraps it up for us on the Hail Married podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Toves.
1: And I'm the Toves.
0: We'll be back next week to preview our game against Temple.
1: Birds up.